for a lot of my patients, when I speak with them, I always start the visit by asking, tell me your health story. I wanna hear about any diagnoses, illnesses, injuries, traumas, because that's important. We discuss everything from womb to present. Were they breastfed or were they formula fed? Were they a colicky baby? How was their diet growing up? How did their antibiotic use look throughout their life? What stressors did they have? Where were any types of disease presenting themselves? We know that every single one of these things is going to dictate the health of our microbes. So we're seeing more and more prevalence of in inflammatory bowel disease, IBD, autoimmune conditions like Crohn's and ulcerative colitis. We're seeing increase in instances of irritable bowel syndrome, so IBS. And really a lot can be very gut-centered. We know we have various microbiomes throughout our entire body. We have a skin microbiome, we have an eye microbiome, an oral microbiome, gut microbiome, vaginal microbiome. They all communicate with one another. And so things are off in the gut and our health story has impacted our microbiome. We are then going to be really showcasing that in various parts of our body. So I really truly have a passion for helping people get to the bottom so they understand how it started and then how can we move forward with this and integrate more plants into their diet, feed more of their healthy anti-inflammatory microbes and help them try to thrive. The first and best victory is to conquer self. Welcome to the Conqueror Approach, a journey of self-mastery. To cultivate our mind, body, spirit, financial literacy, and allow our light to shine upon the world. Brought to you by me, your host, U.S. Navy submarine veteran and entrepreneur, Musa Mikkel. Let's conquer. Welcome back to the Conquer Approach. I appreciate you for tuning in. Today, I have Dahlia Marin. She's a registered dietitian nutritionist for the past 10 years. Dahlia and her husband, James, are the co-founders of Married to Health and the first 100% plant-based small intestinal bacterial overgrowth and IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, nutritional program. Married to Health is an integrative dietetic practice which brings together the best in medical nutrition and therapy to bridge the gaps between health maintenance, disease prevention, and disease reversal when possible. Thank you, Dahlia, for tuning into the Conquer Approach today with me. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited for this conversation. I appreciate it. And, and nutrition is so near and dear to, to me and my heart, and it's why I'm pursuing uh, the nutritional degree so I can be of support just like you are in the field, uh, because I, I feel like there needs to be more people who are, are, are mindful when it comes to their health uh, and their nutrition in a way that's not similar to the way our Western medicine system is, which is corrective. Uh, and that's why I love the, the work you and your husband do in, in the preventative side and the reversal of a lot of these common diseases, especially with the gut. Uh, and, and with that, I wanted to ask, uh, the gut is crucial. We know that. Uh, but how does gut issues progress into serious disorders? Mm. Such a great question. And I always like to start by kind of breaking down what the gut is. We know that the gut is a collection of over 100 trillion microbes. So we know that we are more microbi microbial composition than human DNA. So we have more of these amazing microbes 
And they oftentimes dictate how we feel more so than how we think, how we act. So what we feed, expose our microbes to, that's going to then kind of garner how well or unwell we're feeling. And this oftentimes will happen slowly when people end up coming into GI disease progression. So when somebody has gastrointestinal disease or disorder, it doesn't usually happen overnight. Now we know there are cases of food poisoning, and that can really change the terrain overnight. Somebody can have something like post-infectious gastritis, and that really is like you didn't do anything except eat some of these inflammatory microbes, they over-inoculated, then you're sick. But for a lot of my patients, when I speak with them, I always start the visit by asking, tell me your health story. I want to hear about any diagnoses, illnesses, injuries, traumas, because that's important. We discuss everything from womb to present. So I want to hear, were they a vaginal delivery or were they a C-section? Because that matters for the gut. Were they breastfed or were they formula fed? Were they a colicky baby? How was their diet growing up? How did their antibiotic use look throughout their life? Again, what stressors did they have? Where were any types of disease presenting themselves? We know that every single one of these things is going to dictate the health of our microbes. We know overuse of antibiotics, which, you know, I was born in the late 80s. I was a 90s kid. Why would you even go to the doctor if you weren't going to take antibiotics? For every little sniffle, bump, and bruise, you got whisked off to the doctor. And most of the time, you walked out with a prescription. You got some pink amoxicillin, and you're good to go. So now we're seeing this very steep rise and very steep incline in disorders of the gut. So we're seeing more and more prevalence of in inflammatory bowel disease, IBD, autoimmune conditions like Crohn's and ulcerative colitis. We're seeing increase in instances of irritable bowel syndrome, so IBS, and that is one of my areas of specialty. I do counsel patients with all sorts of gut issues, but I have a keen interest in IBS because it's an interesting collection of these different symptoms. And if left unchecked, can really progress into many areas of our body. We've all heard that, you know, that famous quote by Hippocrates, all disease begins in the gut. And really a lot can be very gut-centered. We know we have various microbiomes throughout our entire body. We have a skin microbiome, we have an eye microbiome, an oral microbiome, gut microbiome, vaginal microbiome. They all communicate with one another. And so things are off in the gut and our health story has impacted our microbiome, we are then going to be really showcasing that in various parts of our body. So I really, truly have a passion for helping people get to the bottom. One, trying to identify when did it start? <laughs> what were some triggers? And what really came before a lot of these symptoms that they were having? So they understand how it started. And then how can we move forward with this and integrate more plants into their diet, feed more of their healthy anti-inflammatory microbes and help them try to thrive. That is, that is all awesome. And I appreciate you for, for really taking that stand because I, I just uh, want to emphasize there needs to be more of you and, and people who take your approach to this. Uh, and there's something that, that was really interesting to me uh, was that even some skin conditions come from gut issues. Like, eczema, right? Now, how does, how does that, how does that happen? <laughs> like I mentioned, so we have these various microbiomes and they're going to communicate with one another. We also know that if you have any breakdown 
in your gut barrier. We have this beautiful gut lining that really starts in our mouth and travels through our esophagus, our stomach, small intestine, large intestine, all the way down to our rectum where things kind of end and leave our body. So it should be a closed system. And although we have phrases that people commonly say like, oh yeah, I have an iron gut or I have a gut of steel, really is delicate skin that comprises our gut lining, our tight junctions. And so we wanna be very protective of that. We also have a beautiful layer of mucus and there are actually a couple layers of mucus that line that. This is meant to be protective. We wanna make sure one, stomach acid doesn't eat through our stomach, right? Because our stomach acid is very acidic. Um, and we wanna make sure also that with that part of our immune system that resides in our stomach acid and in our gut, if we do come in contact with foodborne illness, some other type of infection, it's not readily leaking out of your gut because what's outside of there is your immune system. It's your bloodstream. Um, so we want to make sure that we are not really triggering that too much. What happens in a lot of cases when there is excess inflammation, excessive irritants inside of the gut, little by little, you can be kind of chipping away at that mucus layer. Or if you're in constant stress, fight or flight, which I would love to talk about, you also can be decreasing your mucus production. So you're going to have less protection there. And when that happens, it's almost like if you were to hold water in your hands like this really tightly and you had a pair of gloves on top. If you were wearing rubber, rubber gloves on top of that and you had water in your hand and you were holding it like this, it's not really going to leak out, right? Things are going to kind of stay in there. You're holding it tightly, you have that protection there. So little by little, if you're having things kind of scratch against that, irritate that, first your protective layer is going to become damaged. Maybe the mucus layer becomes damaged and there are little opportunities for other damage to occur behind that. So then maybe your tight junctions become damaged as well. This is now becoming more well-known. It's now known commonly as leaky gut, but we call it intestinal hyperpermeability. I know even five years ago, I remember talking about this with a lot of physicians and they were like, leaky gut's not real. It is a very well-documented phenomenon. So you want to make sure that you're not triggering any of this leakiness because you are going to trigger your immune system. And our immune system is going to be releasing a lot of these immune modulators, cytokines, and other components that are going to do things like affect your skin. It might cause, you know, redness, blotching on your skin. You can feel it in various parts of your body, whether that's joint pain, post-nasal drip, headache and fatigue. It could be gastrointestinal, but like you mentioned, skin is another place where that leaky gut can kind of present itself. And as we talked about, those microbiomes really communicate with one another. So if your gut microbiome is imbalanced and you're not in a state of balance or eubiosis, as it's called, you're more likely going to communicate that to other microbiomes. So you might be feeling it on your skin, eczema, dermatitis, psoriasis is what some might find that they are expressing. And other areas, other microbiomes might have oral issues, could have recurrent um, yeast infections, UTIs, bacterial vaginosis, things like that. So you want to make sure that you're loving on that gut so you can feel it systemically. It's really interesting how, how delicate it can be. Uh, and and how much care it really requires to to have a a well operating gut and and you mentioned something earlier and, and something we talked about before was was trauma affecting the gut 
and overall the gut's affected overall well-being is affected uh, and that's why uh, unchecked trauma can be really dangerous how how does unchecked trauma or trauma in general affect the gut health and overall wellness yeah and in talking about trauma i'm so glad that honestly in these last few years we're really destigmatizing opening up and speaking about trauma. I think that so many of us have dealt with trauma in different levels. So when we talk about trauma in our practice, we're really focusing on three main types of trauma. It can be physical trauma, like physical abuse. It can be types of sexual abuse. It can be chemical trauma, whether that is a type of trauma that your body endured due to chemical exposure. Food is one of those could be environmental exposures from things like pesticides. Other chemical exposures could be drugs, whether they're prescription or recreational drugs and alcohol. So you have that physical, you have that chemical trauma, you have emotional trauma as well. So you wanna be considering how all of these different types of traumas can sometimes be stored in the body and they 100% can affect the gut. They've done incredible studies. You know, one study that came out in 2009 showed that those with IBS were five times more likely than those without IBS to have endured trauma. They've also done other studies that showed anywhere from a 100 to 300% increase in irritable bowel syndrome in those who have experienced any different type of trauma. And we know with trauma, depending on what type of trauma, it can have long lasting effects. It's not like, oh, I had that traumatic event and it's over, so I'm over it, I'm, I've moved on our body really can store a lot of this trauma, or you can be continuing to respond to trauma very well after. We oftentimes hear about, you know, fight or flight, right? So when we're in sympathetic nervous state, when we're really tapping into that sympathetic nervous state, we are more in fight or flight. That's basically our body's adaptive mechanism to keep us alive and help us survive. When we are in fight or flight, our body's going to reserve as much energy and attention to survival, and it's really going to downregulate not vitally necessary functions. So in that case, you might downregulate your hormone production when you are in fight or flight. So for those who have prolonged stress, they might find that they have hormonal imbalances. You also are going to downregulate certain functions of the gut. So our body knows, like if you're running from a, a bear, you're not going to stop and, you know, eat an apple, right? So you don't need to digest really when you're in fight or flight. So your body's going to say, okay, I'm going to reserve some of that energy. So what can happen is you might have less mucus production and increased rates of mucus breakdown. So again, your protective layer can be affected when you have prolonged stress. So that just kind of puts you more at risk for any, any type of gut imbalance. We also know that less blood and less water are going to be shunted to our gastrointestinal tract. So that's going to help decrease rate of gastric emptying, rate of motility. Although we've seen that gastric emptying can be very rapid in different states of stress. Some of those stress hormones will cause kind of just almost your body is like, I can't deal with this. Let me just get rid of it. So some people might experience diarrhea when they're very stressed. So we know that when we are in fight or flight, it can for sure affect our digestive capacity. We have seen that when we are very stressed, we tend also to lean a little bit more towards having a more inflammatory microbiome. 
have less of those anti-inflammatory commensal species abundant when you are in stress, more of those that are more inflammatory. On the, uh, on the contrary, on the other side of that fight or flight, you have the parasympathetic nervous state, or some people call it rest and digest. I also like to refer to it as feed and breed. So when we are in a more relaxed state, we're able to tap into that. We're not as tense. We're not really provoking our body to make all of those stress hormones. So we're more apt to be able to rest and digest. So our body is in more of a calm state. It knows, all right, we're calmed down. Let's properly digest and properly do our thing with this beautiful food, hopefully, that we're putting into our bodies. We're able to feed and breathe. So hormone production is going to upregulate also. And what can become very tricky, what I find with some of my most difficult patients is they are constantly in fight or flight. They've almost adapted to be in constant fight or flight. And no matter how perfect their diet is, no matter how much they exercise and drink the perfect amount of water for them, they take all the right supplements, they're still having symptoms. So I sometimes have those, you know, come to Jesus moments with them. And I'm like, look, you're doing everything right. And I think more than you need me, we need to bring a therapist on board and we need somebody who is trauma-informed and they can then employ different therapy techniques, whether that's EMDR, cognitive behavioral therapy, or any other type of trauma-informed therapy to help the patient see themselves to the other side of that really stressed state. So stress is very pervasive. It can be very, very abundant and it can really impact the gut. When you say that, I just think about how stressed people have been generally, especially like this last year. I, I think about how media is just about provoking stress uh, and, and the different ways stress really affect us on an emotional level. And now we're hearing how severe it can be for our overall gut and health, uh, which is, is really something that I think people need to take on board that whatever they're facing in their personal lives, those challenges, they're not just a, a personal problem and your health is an, a whole separate issue. Mm -hmm. like, and, and that's kind of the idea of this podcast is bringing the mind, body, spirit together because your mind can be solid. And if you abuse your body, you're not going to be optimal in health uh, and, and vice versa. Mm -hmm. uh, for, for clients that you've known who have, uh, a lot of stress or, or just stress in general. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you have some part of your practice that talks and goes over that. What do you usually tell those clients on how they should be managing or, or what they should take on uh, to eliminate stress or fight the stress or let go of the stress? Yes, I love that question. Thank you for asking. So I really try to, one, just have them kind of become alert of the stress that they may be carrying. I sometimes find that my patients with highest amounts of stress are the most restrictive with their diets and it almost turns into disordered eating. So we really talk about what is healthy balanced eating, whether that is plant-based or not, um, and what might be almost restrictive disordered eating patterns. So we try to really identify that of what might be affecting their gut in that sense. And I really try to keep all of my counseling food-centered. So maybe what I'll talk about is trying again to calm that fight or flight, get into rest and digest. And I say that this is especially important prior to mealtimes. 
So what we'll talk about is trying to engage that parasympathetic feed and breed, rest and digest, especially before going into meals. Oftentimes I will recommend to my patients before meals, try to shut off distractions. So it's not mindless eating. You wanna really mindfully eat. Try to take three to five very calming breaths before your meals. I might educate on box breathing where they're slowly inhaling, holding, slowly exhaling, holding. And they're repeating that three to five times just so they're calming their nervous system before eating. And that food is not about to go through a highly stressed body. This might also incorporate different meditations going into the meals. I'll oftentimes share different YouTube videos that I like that are specific meditations about digestion and before meal meditation. So I'll say, listen to these pre-meal meditations. And if that helps you get into a more Zen state before your meal, that will be helpful. We might talk about different ways to engage their vagus nerve. So our vagus nerve is one of the longest nerves that we have in our entire body, and it travels the entire length of our GI tract. Our vagus nerve is helpful with movement in our GI tract or motility as it's called. So doing things like that deep breathing can also help engage that vagus nerve so we can have great motility after the meal, whether that is that deep breathing, loud singing or loud humming. It could be things like blowing bubbles, gargling. So there are really different ways to engage the vagus nerve. And I especially recommend that my patients are doing this before meal time. And again, trying to maintain peaceful meals. We are so often hurried that we're hurrying through meals. And it's like, well, if I'm not doing 10 things, I'm obviously not good enough. So while we're eating, we're also talking to someone, we're on the phones, we're writing things down, we're working. That is such distracted eating. And again, your body is going to be distracted from then helping you digest that meal. So I try to recommend to my patients something that sounds so simple. It's like, you know, sounds so odd to say, but only eat while you're eating. Try not to do 10 different things. Try to sit there peacefully. If you have someone who's present with you during the meal, try to enjoy your meal with that person. And again, try not to be doing too many things. I work with kids as well. That's one of my passions to help families prevent gut issues in their kids. And family meal times are something that are so important. So I will recommend this to parents. I will say, I'll sit down and have a meal together. You know, as a mom, I'm always wanting to get up and like, oh, okay, I want to do the dishes and, you know, I want to go get this and that, or I forgot this, but I try to talk to moms and say, sit there with your kids. You don't want them getting up all the time because you know it's going to affect their digestion. So sit there with your kids, have a peaceful meal time, reconnect. That's great for family bonding, reducing trauma. It's also great for digestion for you and your kids. So that's not necessarily the time to talk about, you know, why your kid got in trouble that day or, or you know, what things really triggered you that day. It's just time to rest and digest, feed and breathe. These are so important. I know also exercise can be important for this. So that's something I talk about me. I talk about with my patients, whether that's taking a brisk walk after their workouts. We know other types of exercise, aerobic activity is one, weightlifting is one, you know, Pilates, yoga, what have you is also really amazing for the gut. So that's something that I incorporate and talk about how that helps with that deep breathing, especially if it is something more restorative like yoga or Pilates. 
So as much as I love talking about food, sometimes you recognize that, hey, you don't need me to talk to you about food. And I, and like I said, I, I'm more than open to talk about this with my patients because so often they'll come to me and they'll be like, yeah, I have gut issues and I really want to lose weight and we'll get to talking. We'll start to find out maybe they're having binging. They're having binge episodes where they find themselves just binging on certain foods. And sometimes we'll dive deep into it and we'll unearth things. You know, I've unearthed with some of my patients that maybe they're in abusive marriages and binge eating is something that a narcissistic partner is encouraging them to do. Maybe for another one of my patients, we revealed that she would binge eat at dinner time because as a child, that was the only time she saw her dad during dinner before he left her family. So for her, dinner time brings that fond memory back of her dad. Um, you know, with other patients, they've said, yeah, I had a really hectic, chaotic childhood. And the only time things were calm were after dinner, we would watch TV as a family and in essence, binge eat together. We'd binge eat chips and ice cream and popcorn. And I'm doing that still with myself and my family now. It's kind of carried on. And they didn't even really realize why they were maintaining that habit. And of course, those binges on really high caloric foods are going to exacerbate IBS if that's what somebody has. So it's so important, in my opinion, to be trauma-informed if really you want to help patients make headway in irritable bowel syndrome or small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or you know, intestinal microbial overgrowth. It really does matter. I love that you mentioned the meditation piece and, and you share uh, ways to incorporate that because I, I feel like that is part of mindful eating is, is if you practice meditating, even if it's for a few minutes, mm -hmm. it's easier to shut off the distractions uh, in any moment throughout the day. And especially when you're eating. And then I noticed with myself, I tend to eat a lot more when I'm distracted mm -hmm. or, or if I'm eating very fast, I eat way more than I, I really need to. Mm -hmm. uh, and you know, that's something that I'm still practicing with the meditation. However, I noticed because of I, that I practice meditation, it's much easier to get into uh, a state where I'm not thinking about as many things when I'm eating or when I'm doing anything in particular. Uh, so definitely love that you mentioned that. And that kind of ties back into the mind-body connection uh, mm -hmm. and for the way you like to talk about it, which I want to go into it, is like the gut-hormone relationship because hormones... Mm -hmm affect the brain. Uh, and then I also wanted to ask how the gut and hormone relationship leads to hormonal diseases. Hmm. Can you hmm. talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I love talking about this subject. There's a really big overlap between gut and hormones. Again, like we talked about, the gut is often the epicenter of so much imbalance in the body. And so we know that the gut helps metabolize so many different things hormones being one of them. So for my patients who might be, for example, really amazing at producing different types of hormones, whether that's testosterone, estrogen, if we're able to effectively metabolize them and excrete them before they're absorbed into our cells, we can help decrease instances of things like cancers. We can help decrease instances like of things like PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, and other hormonally driven disease that very well can be impacted by our gut. We know fiber is an incredible aspect of that. I can't 
you know, ever stop talking about fiber and stop speaking to the benefits of fiber, but we know how important fiber is for overall health, but hormonal health especially. So my patients with estrogen dominance, or maybe they have PCOS and they're a little bit more androgen dominant, or maybe they're making a little bit more male sex hormones or just have that higher affinity for that, incorporating more fiber, more soy into the diet and those, some of those isoflavones that are found in soy and some of those other phytochemicals. We know also that a healthier gut usually dictates a healthier liver, a healthier kidney. What's good for your gut? is good for your whole body. And if those main detoxifying organs and detoxifying pathways are very well open, you will have better gut hormone communication. You know, as of course, we've all kind of stigmatized detoxes. And in the last couple of years, I think detoxes and that word detox has been abused. I always want when my patients ask me, can I do a detox? Should I do a detox? I'm like, let's make sure you're just good old fashioned detoxing all the time. I want to make sure those detox pathways are open. So we know liver and kidneys. So urination, defecation, I want to make sure my patients are pooping and pooping well. So often I talk to patients and they're like, oh yeah, I, I go every day. And once we get into the nitty gritty of it, I'm asking you go, but when you go, does it feel complete? A lot of times, more often than not, it's, mm, you know what? No, I feel like I went, but there's still more there. It's just not coming out. So let's try to help support bowel excretion. And that's detox. That's going to support hormones. That's going to support the gut and inflammation in the gut. So let's support that. Let's make sure you're hydrated. So you're very well detoxing through your kidneys. And let's upregulate that pathway. Let's make sure your lungs are detoxing with breath and meditation. So we want to employ that. That helps with hormonal balance. And again, all hormones function together. So if we are more stressed, that can preclude hormone imbalance as well. And then finally, the skin. So we talked about skin, we're kind of coming full circle now, but the skin is another way to detox. So sometimes if you're finding that all of a sudden you're having an eruption of skin issues, if you're like, first time in my life, I'm having you know acne or things going on with my skin, you always want to check your stress. You always want to check your hormones. You always want to check your gut and your detox capacity. I've had a lot of patients from this past year come to me and say, I'm having such bad skin issues. And I'll talk about, were you exercising in this last year? Yeah, but it wasn't like before. Like I kind of do like 20 minutes at home, weightlifting. My kids are climbing on top of me while I'm doing it. And I used to do hot yoga so we're finding that that detox pathway all of a sudden got shut down. They're not sweating and getting toxins out of their body in that way. So that's another way that we can impact hormones. So it all really does tie back in together. But before you're going to extreme lengths, trying to use different detox supplements or using different things that are going to upregulate detox pathways, you want to make sure you're having that basic detox function. And in that Probably the biggest component is increasing fiber in the diet because our bowel excretion of things through our bowels, through our liver is one of the most important components for hormone imbalance. I love the way that you, you mentioned that also because I noticed that your poop is a good sign whether your gut's doing a good job or not. Uh, and there's a lot of physical signs I feel like people just brush off, like their skin like you mentioned, their gut uh, or the quality of their poop. 
yeah. uh, and just they're they're even the pains that they feel like certain gut pains or or, or issues bloatedness and they just kind of see it as normal mm -hmm. uh, or they don't realize like what ideal or what it's supposed to be like uh, and i really love that you mentioned that the body already has its ways to detox so you uh, external detox or uh, buying a drink certain drinks or something that might not be necessary if we're allowing the body to do what is designed because that's what the liver and kidneys do all the time so giving the body mm -hmm. the opportunity to do it i think that's so important and you know one thing I, I was i was thinking about was that a lot of people have the knowledge of i need to eat more fruits and vegetables i need to eat mm -hmm. less processed or junk food uh, and yet uh 75 of america is overweight or obese uh diseases are just ridiculous in numbers what do you tell your clients to get them into the mindset that they need to actually start taking the actions and implicating what you're recommending them? That's such a great question. And I think you had mentioned early on that we're being kind of made to think of being in survival mode. So I think a lot of our medical system has put patients into don't die mode and just you, you might survive. Who cares if you thrive? And oh my gosh, don't even talk about optimizing. That's out of the question. Just survive. And so that's where a lot of this mindset comes from. What medication can I take? What supplement can I take? What's a quick fix? What's a quick diet that I can go on to help reverse these 30 years plus of issues that I've been having? And so we start small. And I always tell my patients, Let's work at the foundation and then we'll work upwards. If we want to sprinkle a supplement here and there, I'm not anti-supplement. I take supplements myself to optimize health, but I always make sure that we're doing that foundational work. So I always want to start by adding. Let's not go on this crazy cold turkey and say, I'm going to eat zero processed food from here on out and I'm a whole new person. We know that 90% of those who go on a diet end up coming right back to the way that they were eating before. Diets don't work. Mindset shifts work. So again, it's trying to help that person understand what mindset are you in? What is your mindset when it comes to your health? Have you even thought about thriving? <laughs> are you in that survival mode? How do we get you to think about what you as a thriving person looks like? Maybe we work on them incorporating manifestations. My future self, does not take these three medications that I'm currently on. My future self eats fruits and vegetables every day. We eat three servings every day. So it's that mindset. And then maybe we'll incorporate some small, smart goals into that. So small, measurable, attainable, time-sensitive goals that helps kind of on that pathway of that future self that they're visualizing so that they make sure that it's something that's actualized. Because we know that our thoughts preclude our actions. And so we want to make sure that our mind is ready to go. We're not just forcing things on it and we're not cold turkey putting our body into a shock. We're really enhancing and we're really embracing that positive mindset when it comes to things. So it might be as simple as saying, you're right now you average zero to two servings of vegetables a day. Can we shoot for two? Can we try to get in a solid two per day? Two little half cup servings. And we'll work from there. Okay, fruit. Now let's move on to fruit. Again, you might be averaging zero to one servings a day. 
Can we get in a solid one? And we'll build from there. These changes don't happen overnight. It's this continual building. And once we are really incorporating more and more of these healthy habits, it just crowds out some of the less healthy, less desirable lifestyle habits that people acclimate to. They start to feel the benefits, like you mentioned. They start to just feel so well that even thinking of doing what they were doing before when they felt unwell is out of the question. I know for me, I can speak to that from personal experience. I love sharing with my patients and I have, I'm very much an open book. I have no shame in sharing. I was not always healthy. I was my own first patient. I grew up and you know, you and I discussed, we're both first generation here, first generation Americans. And so growing up, my parents immigrated here and, you know, it was exciting to have a lot of different types of cultural foods available. So we ate out and we had takeout quite often. Both of my parents worked full time. So I was a latchkey kid. Sometimes I was left to my own devices, either with my elderly grandmother or my siblings or by myself sometimes. And it wasn't uncommon for me to eat an entire box of cereal in one sitting or, you know, just binge on like one of those big cheese platters from a big box store. So that was me. And of course, being sedentary, doing those things, um, having highly processed foods that we had, you know, more abundantly before it led to disease. My body then said, hey, I can't do this. So at the age of 17, I was simultaneously diagnosed with multiple diseases and disorders with polycystic ovarian syndrome, prediabetes, high cholesterol, and autoimmune thyroid condition. This is in one day that I'm given this information. And I'm basically told, here's some medication, good luck. I knew at that point, just looking around me, seeing others who lived in a state of disease as well, that wasn't going to be my story. So from there, I started making small changes. I said, all right, I'm going to cut out soda and fast food. Those were two low-hanging fruits for me. So I did that. I then kind of taught myself and really it, it began embracing incorporating more fresh fruits and vegetables. A couple years later, four or five years down the line, I met my husband, James, and he and I were kind of on similar health journeys. So together over a couple of years, we transitioned to pescatarian, vegetarian, vegan together, whole food plant-based after going vegan, and really have kind of just walked that walk. So I totally get how it doesn't happen overnight, but not only will it not happen, it's not going to stick if your mindset isn't all there. So that's something I'm so passionate of sharing with my patients. It's so important whether somebody wants to lose weight or try to reverse their diabetes or put it into remission, whether they want to work on their gut issues and once and for all trying to put a lot of their IBS or SIBO symptoms into remission or minimize them as much as possible. Mindset is such an important part of it. Because like I said, diet can be on point. All those other things can be on point. But if you have a defeated mindset and you don't ever visualize yourself as a healthy person, you're always going to create those barriers and prevent yourself from getting there. I love that you said that it's possible to thrive. And I, I think that mm -hmm. simple question and mm -hmm. that people, if they get that on board, that mm -hmm. it's possible for them to thrive not just survive and get by, but to actually thrive. And they believe that, that they can start making the changes to make that possible and come to real life. Uh, and I, I just, yeah. I'm so grateful for you and the work your husband do because you are changing lives on that level. Uh, and they can share that knowledge with the people in their families and friends 
and, and by by their transformation or their just their energy or their skin or how they feel, people notice that. Uh, and if you don't know that it's possible, it's possible for you too. <laughs> uh, and and with that, uh, Dahlia, can you tell us where uh, we can reach you at? Best place to contact you. I'll have your links uh, attached to the notes and the details. Uh, and if someone wants to do a consultation or, or get to uh, see you uh, as their nutritionist, how can they do that? Yes. So we can be found at marriedtohealth.com and across many social platforms like Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, TikTok, at Married to Health. And we not only see clients one-on-one, -on -one, we also have a good gut group for our patients who have IBS. So we have our group, it's a closed private group where we talk about different things. Our group members get exclusive access to certain recipes, in-depth discussions on various topics. They get to ask us questions during our lives. So we really love incorporating that community aspect, which is such an important part of thriving. Um, and we have some exciting things coming up this year. A couple of eBooks on SIBO IBS recipes, we have some good gut family recipes of just preventing gut issues and other fun things that you guys can stay updated with us. If you sign up for our newsletter at marriedtohealth.com, you can stay up to date with all the things that we have going on. Awesome. Awesome. And that's all amazing stuff. Thank you, Dahlia. I believe the greatest gift we can give is ourselves and our time. And you've done that here. And I greatly appreciate you uh, for doing that with you. And I just continue doing what you're doing because you are a light to the world in the place of nutrition. Thank you. Likewise. Thank you so much. That is all for this episode. Thank you for tuning in. If you found any value in this episode, someone you know will also. Please share, subscribe, leave a rating and review so we can reach more people, have a farther ripple and a larger impact. Stay grateful. I appreciate you. And remember, you are a conqueror.